Trek Geeks is proud to be brought to you this week by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have over 150 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command Secret Bunker, somewhere in southern New Hampshire. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. This is episode number 152. I am your co-host, Bill Smith, and it is exciting to be here. Thank you for downloading. I said all that in one breath, if you can believe that. Uh, Thank you for listening, and thank you for making us a part of your week. It truly means the world to us. And of course, by us, I do mean my illustrious co-host. He's a gentleman with whom I commute every day. Let me reiterate, every day. And it's my own fault because now we work at the same place together for the first time in like 20 years. Great. Yeah, he's Dan Davidson. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Buddy, Buddy, welcome aboard. Thanks, man. It is great to be here as always. For this episode 152 of the Trek Geeks podcast. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking through the website just the other day at all the past episodes and how long it's been since we've done certain episodes. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was four years ago. But uh, it's like it was just yesterday at the same time because I'm doing it with my best bud. Really? When does he get here? I'm not sure. I'll let you know when he arrives. That's great. (laughs) Dan, today we are going to consider probably what is the high watermark of Deep Space Nine's first season. I think it's the best episode of season one, mm-hmm. hands down. Uh, but it is it is definitely a, a tour de force episode for Nana Visitor and for, um, well, for, for viewers, quite frankly. It is. It is. And I agree with you 100%. It is the best episode of season one. It is duet, uh, a very, very well-written and beautifully acted episode. And I'm glad that we are going to take the time to dissect it for an entire episode of Trek Geeks for the continuing 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Perfectly stated. You know, I didn't think that there was any way we could consider Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary and not include this episode somewhere during the year. I think it's that good. It's rare that a a series in its freshman year delivers an episode of this quality, and that's part of what we're going to talk about later. 
Dan, speaking of quality, one of the things that you do with great quality is tell people how they can get in touch with us. And if you wouldn't mind relaying that information, I would be most appreciative. Well, I appreciate the kind words, man. It is so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you're going to find a variety of ways to get in touch with Bill, with myself, or even both of us at the very same time. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out that contact form and type us out a little personalized message just like that. Uh, You can click the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own voice using SpeakPipe. And don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Facebook group Camp Kittimer. All kinds of Trek talk, Trek picks, Trek love is going on over at that site. And we now have well over 1,000 friends talking about all things Trek. Don't forget every Friday, it's the Friday commute celebration as well, even though we didn't do it this past Friday. So technically it's not every Friday, but that's okay. Uh, We're going to do a weekly lip sync, especially for our campers. So head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and uh, be ready to take part in all of the fun and a wonderful social experience. And as always, we would like to thank our admins, Heather, Jackie, and Dan, for all the amazing work they do to keep that site up and running. Uh, We love them for it. But I do have to say that uh, (laughs) please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places, Bill, may be used in a future episode because Camp Kittimer is not dangerous. You're fired. <laughs> oh, it, I hope everybody listens through the outtake to hear my hell. I, I, th- so for those of you new to Trek Geeks, every week, almost without fail, there is an outtake after the closing theme from Five Year Mission. And it goes on for about somewhere between five and eight minutes or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear the end theme, don't think that there's a problem with your podcast player. Uh, there's more. It's like a Marvel oh, there, movie. That, it really <laughs> is. It's like an after credit scene. And uh, yeah, the discussion today. So thanks for that, buddy. My pleasure. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Online at treknews.net. This is what I get for missing important production meetings. Um, Dan, up first in news. Um, it looks like Discovery Season 1 is coming to Blu-ray very, very soon mm-hmm. as we record this. And it's going to be a um, steal. Oh, I see what you did there, buddy. Yeah. Um, Best Buy announced recently that a special Steelbook edition of Season 1 will be made available. Now, this set is going to have the exact same content as the previously announced DVD and Blu-ray set. Uh, that will be coming out, I believe, on November 13th. Uh, but this, of course, will come in that awesome-looking steel set cover. So head right on over to the Best Buy website. It will retail for $44.99 at the last uh, uh, price check that I did. Um, and as we record this episode today, the Steelbook Edition will only be available in the United States, but it may be available at other retailers internationally at some point. 
I um I had originally ordered season one on Amazon mm-hmm. when it became available. I have since canceled that order and ordered the Steelbook. Really? Yeah. I've never had a Steelbook uh, DVD set before. I have the Steelbook for Into Darkness. Okay. And I do like I, I do like the presentation. I mean, it's the same content. It really is not a, a huge difference in price. Um, I just uh, I had to I had to do it, man. I just I had to pull a trigger. Is it heavier because it's steel? Um, I, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not like it's you're you're picking up a, a car. Um, will Will it hurt more if I smash you in the face with it? No, but it will hurt more once I crack your skull. <laughs> <laughs> Point eight. Can Can you feel the love tonight, Dan? <laughs> and normally, I would sing that, but Spotify. Exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. For those not in the know, I mean, on Spotify, they're very stringent about performances. And if you sing something from a song, technically they view it as a revenue generating event or royalty generating event, which is why we try not to do things like that. And I will yell Dan Spotify uh, because we don't, we don't want to get a bill. And he's done (laughs) that a lot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) so are you sticking with the Amazon regular packaging or are you going to pull a trigger on steel? For the moment, I am because um, a while back, Sue and I decided that we were going to concentrate more on the digital versions of movies moving forward so that we didn't take up a lot of space with with uh, DVD sets and stuff. But, you know, it, it's still Discovery. So uh, right now I still have the Amazon uh, regular Blu-ray set ordered. I might change it. I haven't decided yet. I think... Um... I can appreciate that. I mean, I rip all my stuff anyway once I get it home. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I will turn it into a digital version. Or half the time with these things, there's a digital copy included now. Right, that's uh, true. So I, I, but I like still having that physical media because, like, the thing that happened with Apple recently, where they lost the license to carry some content, and people wound up with free movie rentals and no longer have content. That's true. Good point. I haven't thought about that, so I'm gonna have so, to give it some thought. So yeah, so steel. Um, speaking of, of, of things related to the business of Star Trek, Dan, over at CBS, the, uh, the network that kind of owns Star Trek, the corporation, kinda. there's, there's been a, a pretty significant shakeup at the very highest levels of the organization. Uh, yeah. At the highest level of the organization, actually, Les Moonves is out. He has resigned as chief executive amid sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, This just happened within the last uh, 10 days or so as we record here. Um, uh, These allegations first came to light several weeks ago when the New Yorker reported uh, alleged harassment by Mr. Moonves on six women between the 1980s and 2000. And since then, six more women have come forward uh, bringing the total to 12 um, uh, alleged sexual misconduct allegations. So um, he has been um, involved with CBS for a number of years. He is out. Um, we don't know what this will mean for not only Star Trek, but anything related to CBS. But uh, it was it was pretty big news. It's, it's amazingly huge news. I mean, fans are quick to criticize Moonves because he killed Star Trek. When he canceled, he essentially canceled Enterprise. But people have to take a step back and remember, this is the guy who also brought Star Trek back through CBS All Access. And Mm -hmm. some people don't like that decision. But the fact is now it's led to us getting more Trek with Patrick Stewart and more Trek that's theoretically coming past that. Yes. You know, 
Les Moonves is not in the business of Star Trek. He's in the business of making money for CBS shareholders, however that looks. And we may not agree with all of the decisions he made as the CEO, but um, uh, it stands to remain that we've got Star Trek back and it's it's on the verge of having a, a new you know, great or era of greatness, if you will. So I totally um, agree. Yeah. You know, the charges are despicable. You know, um, I don't I don't know much of the details, but um, clearly it was enough for him to resign. And that says enough to me. So I agree. Um, Moonves did release a statement um, saying that uh, the allegations are, quote, untrue and not consistent with who I am. Uh, he's, he goes on to say that he's saddened to be leaving the company. And it turns out that CBS and Moonves will donate $20 million to one or more organizations that support the Me Too movement. Um, it is still unsure as to whether that $20 million will come out of the package that he is going to receive for uh, leaving the company, which could be up to as much as $180 million pending an outside investigation on these allegations. So we'll see what happens with that, but uh, it's no chump change. That's for sure. Yo. No, that's true. And his wife, Julie Chen, who is one of the co-hosts of the CBS daytime talk show, the talk has recently left that show. And she's also the longtime host of CBS's big brother, their highly rated reality show. Mm -hmm. There's no word yet whether or not she will depart that show, which currently has yet to have its season finale. So interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So Dan, um, in other news, happier news for sure. <laughs> you know, I gotta say it was a pretty amazing sight to behold at the, uh, at, at the technical arts Emmys this past weekend, uh, as our favorite universe and in, in the entire, you know, universe of universes was honored. That's a lot of universes, but you're right. Um, I also found it was very ironic that this, um, took place on Star Trek's 52nd birthday to the day uh, that this franchise received the prestigious Governor's Award at the Emmys. Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, hosted the moment that had an unbelievably remarkable tribute to the franchise. And then the stage was filled with folks who have worked on the various series. Uh, after that, we were thrilled to see members of each series come on stage, culminating with William Shatner from TOS and Sonequa Martin-Green from Discovery coming into view to accept the reward. It really was a remarkable event. And i got to tell you, folks, for those of you who have not seen it, you've got to check out that tribute. It was, um, it was tear-making. Uh, <laughs> tear-making. Yeah. Tear. Words are hard. <laughs> I'm crying right now, actually. Yeah, so am I for completely different reasons. Um, it really was such a, a great tribute. You know, it, it used some of the, uh, the the package that they used in the off season to promote the, the forthcoming season of Discovery. Um, uh, and I thought it was just really well done honoring each of the series mm -hmm. and, and the people behind it. So um, congratulations to Star Trek. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that all these wonderful people behind the scenes, you know, got a chance to come up on stage and receive some recognition and those throughout the the decades, because they've put together something that that we have loved all of all practically all of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who want to see that tribute, head right on over to treknews.net and look for the story about the Emmys tribute, because that entire uh, link, uh, the entire video was right there on that page. So Brian and team over at treknews.net are killing it as usual. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, Dan, the holidays, which are now less than 100 days away. Oh, 
are reason enough to celebrate and enjoy life and family and all the great things that that we've come to love. But this coming season, there might be something a little extra to look forward to for Star Trek fans, especially those on the East Coast. Yes. And you know what? I got to say, as people who live on the East Coast, we really don't get a lot of these type of events coming across our way very often. So this is pretty exciting. Um, it's it's going to be Christmas with the Captains uh, on December 8th, as William Shatner and Anson Mount will be special guests at the Star Trek original series set tour in Ticonderoga, New York. So Captain Kirk and Captain Pike will be there uh, on December 7th and 8th. Shatner will be available for autographs and photo ops and will host several Captain on the Bridge Q&A sessions, while Anson Mount, um, as we know, who will be playing Captain Pike on Season 2 of Discovery, will be available for autographs and photo ops and will be doing a Pike on the Bridge event as well. So, um, Merry Christmas, Bill. I will not be attending. <laughs> well, that makes two of us the timing yeah. just is terrible for me right. unfortunately not good it would be really cool to see anson mount geeking oh, out over God. that uh, over that set i mm-hmm. mean it's uh, you know we, we've been to what we think is is the best recreation of the original sets mm-hmm. um at the star trek continue sets down in georgia or the former star trek continue sets and the ones in ticonderoga are nice but um i feel like i've I feel like I've seen the ones that are just a smidge closer to to the way they were in the 60s. Yeah. But I guarantee that this with Shatner there being Shatner and Anson Mountain, all his fanboy, you know, uh, revelry. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a pretty great event. I'm not going to lie. I'm sure it's going to be. Um, Mr. Shatner has been there once already, and I understand it was a huge success um, for all the people that went out there and met him and got autographs and pictures on the bridge. Um, I know that I believe Gates McFadden and... Um, uh, who else was there? Uh, Carl, Carl Urban. Carl Urban was there, yeah, for for another event. So they're certainly getting the stars there. And, hey, I think it's great people that are on the East Coast and want to go to the set and see these legends and soon-to-be legends with Mr. Mount uh, in Star Trek history. Uh, it's a great event coming up in uh, the beginning of December. It'd be great if they could get Ethan Peck and Zach Quinto. Oh, wow. I, I would actually make the trek for that, no pun intended. That would be – I would go with you. So you'd have <laughs> me in the car the whole time. Well, Dan, speaking of being in the car, and we're going to stay in the Northeast for our next bit of news, which is actually an announcement um, for us here at at Trek Geeks, you and I. Um, The last weekend in October, the 26th through the 28th, you and I will be in Albany, New York for the Northeast Trek Con. Um, We are, we're on the guest list, baby. We're on the (laughs) website and everything. So it's real. Um, But it's quite the, uh, the array of guests. And I'm excited as, as, as you can imagine to do this. I know you are, we're going to be there all weekend long meeting and greeting people. Uh, we're still waiting to hear if we're hosting a panel cause we've pitched a couple to them, but, uh, Dan, it is going to be a fantastic weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm humble. This is going to be the first time that we've actually gone to an event as I don't even know if guest is the right word, but I'll use that. But uh, like you said, yeah, we're like on the website and it's all official and we're going to be joining people like Garrett Wong and and Nicole DeBoer, Chase Masterson, Jeffrey Combs, Robert O'Reilly, J.G. Hertzler, Aaron Eisenberg, Max Gradenchik, just to name a few, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek is going to be there as well. And and I am really looking forward to this. It's going to be a, a new experience for both of us. Um, and I can't wait to be sitting there for the whole weekend, just getting in some, uh, it's going to be the first real time that we've been to a convention that's not Vegas. So I'm pretty excited. 
I, I really am too. You know, it's, it's an amazing array of people who are going to be there. There's even science guests, you know, we've mm-hmm. got astronauts and, and professors and, and all kinds of doctorish type people that are going to talk about real science, which I think is, is awesome. You know, not, I, not weird science, real science, no, actual science Absolutely. type things. That's awesome. Not just is warp drive possible, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that will come up, but all kinds of stuff. And we are there among um, all of those smart people, which <laughs> at first I thought had to be a mistake. <laughs> well, we're going to make the most out of it. Um, we do have to drive together for about three and a half hours. So I just want to let you know that right up front. Um, so, so yeah. Shotguns. It's, it's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, I might bring one with me if you uh, start to drive me a little bit too crazy, but uh, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to uh, getting together with some old friends and uh, just having a great time out there at the, uh, at the end of October. Well, we are going to be in the vendors hall all weekend long. So if you're going to could be in the Albany area, October 26th through 28, uh, come to Northeast TrekCon. It's going to be a, a great, great time. Come meet us, come meet all of the amazing people. who are going to be there. Um, and in fact, Dan, to celebrate this announcement, and this is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I have to, uh, I have to give Northeast TrekCon a lot of credit. They are giving away two regular admission weekend passes to Trek Geeks listeners. That's awesome. It's so easy to win uh, these passes. All you have to do is go to the tweet that we have pinned at the top of the Trek Geeks Twitter page and reply with your answer. It's that simple. Everyone who replies will be entered into a random drawing for two regular admission weekend passes to Northeast TrekCon in Albany, New York, October 26th through 28th. And the question is just so simple. Uh, Bill, how simple is it? It's incredibly simple, Dan. Um, and people will see when they go to the Trek Geeks Twitter page. <laughs> I see. I don't want to give them everything right off. I know. The we got a you know, little secret, little you know, little shenanigans on our part. So, yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Very easy <laughs> to answer. And like we said, two lucky listeners are each going to receive one weekend pass to the convention. Now, of course, travel, lodging, meals, and any other additional expenses are the responsibility of the winners, of course. One entry per person, please. And of course, be sure to have those entries in by Tuesday, October 9th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Yep. And as a result of that deadline, we will announce the winners on Wednesday, October 10th on our social social media pages and channels. Social. Uh, so good luck to everyone, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in Albany. Well, Dan, here we are. It's mid-September, and as we record this, the great news from fansets just keeps on coming. You know, we had two great pins released this month with the Enterprise Refit pin, as well as Lieutenant Kayla Detmer from Star Trek Discovery. And October has a few pretty awesome pins coming as well, man. A few. I like how you put that because normally there's just two. But yeah, I was sporting my Detmer pin today, actually. It is it is amazing. Um, I was so excited, Bill, to hear what was coming out in October from Fansets because they're both Discovery-related pins. And you know how much I love Discovery just as much as you do. First up, on October 1st, you're going to be able to purchase Hardcourt Fenton Mud as portrayed by Rain Wilson in Season 1 of Discovery. Uh, and then just two short weeks later on October 15th, the next pin, oh, this is awesome. It will be Captain Danby Connor. And 
you might have heard you heard me right, Captain. It's Captain Connor. So that means it's the mirror universe of our favorite character who dies every time he's on screen, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> he does. A poor kid. Uh, two great characters, Dan. Two great pins. And I got to tell you, man, it was such a delight to meet Sam Bartholomeo at Grand State Comic Con last weekend. He was just so nice. He was, he was awesome. I mean, nice is really the best word I can use. Yep. Uh, in addition, Dan, Fansets wants all of our listeners to know that there are going to be not one, not two, but four new pins coming out at the upcoming New York Comic Con October 4th through 7th. And Dan, this is just wait till you hear the details on these. The Mirror Universe logo in gold. Oh. And it's the Mirror Universe from Star Trek Discovery. The Mirror Universe logo in silver. Silver! <laughs> okay, take it easy. And <laughs> if that weren't enough, Dan, the Mirror Universe logo also in copper. Wow. Representing all the divisions in Discovery. Huh. Plus, Dan, there's going to be a convention exclusive pin, and it's the Mirror Universe Rebel logo, Ugh. which I think is fantastic. Now, that one's going to be limited to only 100 available for purchase. They're all going to be available for only $9.95. If any of the Rebel pins are available after the con, the folks at Fansets are going to have the remaining ones for sale on fansets.com at some point, and we'll definitely keep people posted on that. So let me get this straight, dude. We're going to Albany at the end of October. Yeah. Um, are we going to New York at the beginning of October? <laughs> For Comic Con, I think we need to be there. Um, I'm not. I'll just be back from the Caribbean. That's not happening. <laughs> um, that's awesome news, and I think it's also safe to let everybody know that coming up very soon here on Trek Geeks, we are going to be giving away a couple sets of these three Mirror Universe logo pins, as well as a Rebel pin to a couple lucky listeners. There'll be separate giveaways. Um, in the meantime. If you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the word file clerk at checkout, and that's all capital letters. This code is going to be available until midnight on Monday, September 24th. So don't delay. Enter file clerk at checkout for 15% off. And uh, fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And we thank fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan. It's the best episode in season one of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and it is duet, my friend, and we are going to consider that this week here on The Biggest Little Show, this side of the Alpha Quadrant. And re-watching this episode this week for the podcast, I, I am continually struck at how amazingly well-written this episode is. And trivia, this is one of the few episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine to not have a B-plot, and that's because it doesn't need it. Oh, it doesn't need it at all, and I think that actually could have taken away from how intense and how strong this episode is. We don't see very many Star Trek episodes, at least in the modern day, that don't have B-plots, and it totally makes, makes sense that this one didn't have it. It's um, it's one that I think is thought provoking. It's an episode that that confronts the concept of hatred pretty squarely. Mm -hmm. It also confronts things like redemption and change, and I think it does it in a very interesting way. And we're going to talk about some of that later on. But do you recall the first time you watched this particular episode? I think I have a vague memory, um, and it was at a time where Deep Space Nine was still new. I mean, this is only the 19th episode of the entire series. And I think I was still, you know, learning to appreciate what we were seeing. 
Um, I do know that at the beginning of, of Deep Space Nine, I had some issues with how Kira was represented represented i sometimes thought that when she was really upset or angry the na had a tendency to kind of push it a little bit more than what we would probably see under normal circumstances so that kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way but i will say when this one came out the way that she handled that intensity made me completely reevaluate what i thought of kira and i thought this was the episode that really gave her teeth and really gave her a strong, um, cemented reputation on the show that lasted throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think that they got to let Nana loose on this script, and it was the best thing they could have done, both for Nana and for Kira. Mm -hmm. Because we understood so much more about Kira from this episode. It humanized her greatly because what one of us wouldn't have had that reaction? What wouldn't of us, sorry, what one of us wouldn't have wanted to lead that investigation and just sure. confront the, the butcher of Galatop? Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I think that it, when looking at this episode, I mean, you look at season one of Next Gen and there's not an episode this strong. Oh, no. No. In fact, you, in order to get a season one episode that is incredibly strong, you have to go all the way back to the original series. That's how quality this episode is, in my opinion. I totally agree. Uh, the, the similarities in this story, that, well, let's, let's rephrase it. They're able to tell stories of real world atrocities um, that have taken place in our history, especially during World War II with Nazi death camps. They do it in a way that we so much love with Star Trek is they put it in a science fiction shell and they make it work perfectly. And this is the gold standard, I think, for how atrocities that we've seen in our lifetime or or not our lifetime, but in our generations, um, they do it perfectly here. The thing that's amazing to me and really made me go, oh, my gosh, this is the, the detail here is is amazing is. We've never really heard a lot about the things that happened during the Cardassian occupation, but Kira made it very clear of how awful things were when she described stuff as, you know, you know, the, you know, killing people because they were too tired to work and the raping of women in front of their children and husbands was the one that just made me go, oh my God, I cannot even believe that, that these are the things that she's talking about that she had seen while she was a resistance fighter, um, in the Shakar, uh, group it's i just the, everything about this episode just works including the violent ugly things that we had to hear about well you know you mentioned the word atrocities and it's unfortunately the perfect word to describe what what occurred there i mean i think of you know you mentioned kira telling cisco and odo what happened there and i just happen to have that quote in, in front of me and it is this quote commander if you'd been there 12 years ago and we liberated that camp if you'd seen the things i saw all those Bajoran bodies, starved, brutalized. You know what Cardassian policy was? Oh, I'm not even talking about the murder. Murder was just at the end of the fun for them. First came the humiliation. Like you said, Dan, mothers raped in front of their children, husbands beaten until their wives couldn't recognize them. And this is the one that really got me and, and really, really kind of hit me squarely where I live. Old people buried alive because they couldn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's rare that we have a picture like that painted in Star Trek because the future in Star Trek is not these things. And we learn that these things were going on somewhere else in the Star Trek universe while we were all celebrating 
you know, the fact that earth has no more wars and no more sickness and no more poverty. And yet there were things akin to Nazi Germany going on, you know, not far away. Sure. Uh, I mean, in past tense, they talk about leaving paradise, the Federation and earth is paradise. And we see that not very far away uh, from sector zero, zero one, there are areas that the worst possible things that we could ever imagine are going on right at the same time as all this peace and tranquility in the Federation. And it's the way that it's portrayed that, I mean, just you reading those quotes got me, got the hair on my arm standing up because I could picture Nanaz Kira, you know, saying those lines. It's really, it's really something. It's not something that we're used to hearing about in Star Trek. Like you said, when she feels every single one of those those words in, in that in that little segment of dialogue to the point where we can't help but feel it too. You know, this is one of Nana's favorite episodes for obvious reasons. And I think it's because of the obvious challenge it poses to her and to the viewer, because you know, we have to accept that that these things occurred. I mean, we've had to accept that as as a as humanity here in the in the twentieth and twenty first centuries, that these things occurred on this planet to by a group of people who were, you know, hell bent on, on eradicating another group of people from the planet. And then when we transplant that into Star Trek, it is, it is it almost as unsavory. And I think that that's really the sobering thing about her speech. She has several moments in this episode that really stand out to me. The speech is one, um, the back and forth with Maritza, uh, is another, but then her the way that her entire thought process changes when she understands what Maritza is trying to do really is something. And especially at the end, um, spoiler alert, when Maritza dies, how she's disgusted by a fellow Bajoran for what he did simply because the guy was Cardassian and says, he's a Cardassian, it's reason enough. And she says, no, it's not perfect ending to this episode just those three words fade the black credits on screen it shows her journey in a very short time because of this one man and what they had between each other during the episode well and she has to make quite a turnabout in order to say those three words mm-hmm. you know because she starts this this episode hell-bent on on you know executing maritza for the world to see um, or Darheel or whoever he may be at this at any given point in the episode. And she realizes at the end what he was trying to do. And we're, we're going to get into the, the bits and bolts of that yes. later on. Mm-hmm. But for her, you know, somebody who, you know, was a resistance fighter during the occupation, that's, that's an amazing turnabout and, and realization for her. And I have to think that that's, that's gotta be, a little core shaking. That's a good way to put it. Uh, core shaking. Indeed. It's amazing that a character like Kira can have so many different core beliefs and things that she feels so strongly about yet at the same time, through various episodes throughout the series, we see that compassionate part come out towards her to the race that was trying to exterminate her race. Uh, look at the episode um, where she is um, changed to look like a Cardassian. Um, and she eventually uh, has a great relationship with the, the legate. Um, his name's escaping me right now. So, you know, maybe you can use that for something geek later. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
it's another great example of, you know, these people wanted to completely destroy the Bajorans. And when it, it comes right down to it, she listens and she understands and she forms relationships with people that we never thought she would. And it, it informs her character throughout the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. You know, she is forced to take a hard look at, at the hatred inside her for these people um, throughout the remaining seven seasons. I mean, ultimately she helps with the liberation of Cardassia in season exactly. seven sure, fr- from the dominion. And she has mm-hmm. to do it with Damar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, she and, and Dukat went up essentially co-parenting Zial. True. She has to mortgage a lot of what has got her to this point in order to move forward. And I think that's probably one of the most fascinating aspects of Kira. Here we have an incredibly strong woman who's second in command of this station. And in Star Trek, she's not somebody who's in a caregiver role. That's something we discussed with Nana three years ago sure. on the show that she and Dax were really kind of the first women characters to break the mold of how women are perceived in Star Trek. And they keep adding layers of depth and challenge not only for Kira, but also for Nana. And I, I think it's really why Kira is one of my all-time favorite characters in the whole of Star Trek. It took me a while, like I said, just a little while ago to warm up to Kira because she's kind of she's kind of off-putting at the beginning and she kind of has a chip on her shoulder. But I mean, I'll tell you what, this one really was the one I think that that kicked it into gear for me to really appreciate and love her character for the rest of the series. Um that being said, Bill, uh, I don't want to step on your toes in case something you have coming up, but I don't think that this episode and letting that Kira character grow to the to the to the, the start of the potential that we see here in episode nineteen would not have been possible without the unbelievable portrayal of Maritza by Harris Ewan. He is he's one of those guys, right? Yeah. Like a, okay. So after I watched Duet this past weekend, I decided that I needed something to binge. And so I decided to try Ozark on Netflix. <laughs> and it's the first thing I watched after watching Duet this weekend. And who's in it? Harris Eulen. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, like, wait a second. I know that voice. And I look up, and there he is. He's obviously older. He doesn't have his Cardassian makeup on. <laughs> but unmistakably, it was Harris Eulen. And he turns in. Such an incredible performance in this episode. Now, I've said this many times over the years, including when I first watched this episode while I was living in Denver, you know, 25 years ago. And that is, duet is like a play for television. Mm-hmm. I agree. It is. Uh, there are great acts. Each one builds upon the previous. Uh, and he does a great job uh, in every one of those acts. I think... Uh, everybody who listens to this show knows that my favorite Cardassian will always be Galdicott. Mark Alimo does an amazing job. And I think this is only the second time that we see him uh, in Deep Space Nine in this episode. I I, I may be off on that, but I'm, I think it's only the second time. But uh, I, I want to say it's at least the third because he's also in Cardassians. Oh, that's this. true. Okay, that's what I'm thinking because I just listened yeah. to that recently on our friends over at, at Mission Log. Um, but... Um, I'll tell you what, I really would have loved to see Maritza not get killed at the end of this episode and be able to have had Harris Eulen come back for another guest appearance because he was phenomenal in this. I I just absolutely love the guy. You know, and I think that 
he perfectly offsets what Nana is doing as Kira. I mean, he just to say he's perfect in this role almost seems like a, a you know like we're blowing smoke. But he, um, I can't think of another actor I could have put in this role that would have had the finesse mm-hmm. that Harris Eulen does. I mean, because he goes from you know guy who you think is being held for some mysterious reason to someone we discover is lying to us and the butcher of Galatep to somebody who's not the butcher of Galatep at all. And maybe doing this for reasons that really are incredibly noble mm-hmm. and, yeah. and redeeming. Um, and, and, you know, I said a few minutes ago that it was like a play and I apologize. I had to mute cause there was a plane flying overhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and you know, what's but, funny if I could jump in on that, Bill, well, let me just finish this thought real quick. Okay. Uh, and everything from the staging of this, because there's a lot of two character shots in this, everything right down to the final scene of the episode finishes just like a stage play because there he is lying in a spotlight in the middle of the promenade <laughs> and a crowd of people comes around and there's Kira you know, emotional. It's like watching the end of, of West side story, quite frankly, yeah, uh, in the way it's staged. And it's, it, it's the only way this episode works. It's the only way to drive forth that, uh, that, that true drama these characters are going through. And it's just, it's, it's gorgeous at every turn. I absolutely agree. I said a moment ago, I would have loved to see him come back, but the story would not have had the, the meaning and the, and the, Oh my God, that it does if he had not been killed ridiculously at the end by just a, a, a Bajoran who felt that just because he was Cardassian, he deserved to die. Um, I totally agree. What I was going to say is it's funny that you had to mute because about 30 seconds before you muted, that plane flew right over my house because we just live right down the road from each other. <laughs> yeah. Being on final approach for, for Manchester, Boston <laughs> regional airport is, uh, is a pain sometimes, but uh, it's not too bad. Um, so well, let's talk about Maritza a little bit. So he's this guy who, who goes out of his way to get to deep space nine and really goes out of his way to get to, to talk with Kira. Mm-hmm. We discovered through the course of this episode, he is, we think he's a really at first kind of a crazy guy. You know, uh-huh. when we learn he's impersonating Goldar heel, you know, w- we think what is wrong with this guy? You know, it's not until the final act that we realize that, um, he did this on purpose, but as you're going through this whole episode, it's a bit of a roller coaster with, with the Maritza character, because at first you think he's somewhat sympathetic and then he's not. And then you find out he's probably Goldar heel. And then you're like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's a war criminal. And then you find out, well, maybe it's not all that clear. And then you find out now he's really Maritza. Yeah. Goldar heel dead. Yeah. And then you realize what his motivation is. And I think that, it makes me wonder about um, whether or not that motivation was always part of the script, whether or not that sort of redemption, because I think the character needs, and I think you're right. There's no way Maritza gets out of this episode alive. He has to die in order for this episode to work. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this Um, on all the different levels that we see Maritza uh, from, like you said, he, he looks annoyed at the beginning because he's being held and he doesn't know why. And, and then we find out his name is Maritza and all of these things are happening. And we see him with his, I mean, he, he is just maniacal when he is pretending to be Galdar heel and all of the things that he enjoyed doing um, during uh, the time uh, at the, uh, at Galatep. But do you think that Maritza purposely let it slip that Kira was part of the Shakar resistance? Or do you think that was a mistake on his part? 
I think he did it on purpose. I think he wanted her to peel back the layers of this onion. Um, and also, this is the first time the Shakar resistance cell is ever mentioned but in, Deep, in Deep Space Nine. Let me let me say this though: yeah. she didn't peel back the onion. It was Odo who figured who who eventually said, "Wait a minute, something's not right here." You never said that you were part of the Shakar resistance. Well, but so also, do you think that Kira would have figured that out if not for Odo? Uh, well, I mean, that's uh, that's it's almost immaterial at this point because he knows that at some point they have to figure it out in order for what he's doing to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on some level he, he wishes he weren't found out, but I think that he feels this intense release uh, because of the shame that, that he has. I mean, we may yeah. as well skip to this part now. I mean, we get to the end of the episode and realize that the only reason he assumed this persona was to try to make Cardassia responsible and let Bajor heal. And you know, if you sit back and think about that, I mean, one, it seems crazy, but it's it's incredibly selfless. It is absolutely. You know, this is a guy who tried, who's putting on the performance of a lifetime simply as a Cardassian, trying to make people believe he's the butcher of Galatep, so that he will be put on trial to you know bring Cardassia or to put Cardassia's feet to the fire, and then ultimately know he's going to be executed. I mean, if you think about it in those terms, what this guy has decided to do is really kind of staggering. I don't think staggering is a strong enough word. Uh, He wants to take the entire occupation, put it on his shoulders, and have Cardassia be held responsible for what happened. And he was just, as he put it, a simple file clerk. But he's willing to go through all of this through cosmetic surgery and all of this, uh, all of the pain that he's going through and then be put on trial. And he will be executed if it got that far. Uh, if this had not fallen apart uh, in the holding cell, that to be able to who, who would even ever think of doing something and taking on that big a responsibility to try to correct something that took place in the past that was so monumental. Well, and. I think the only reason he assumes it is because of the intense guilt he feels, Mm -hmm. you know, what does he says? He, um, he covered his ears every night, but he couldn't bear to hear the horrible screams. And then it's the next line he has that I think is, is completely telling uh, with regard to his motivation. Uh, you have no idea what it's like to be a coward, to see those horrors and do nothing. Moritz is dead and he deserves to be dead. He's, He's essentially knowingly committing suicide out of his guilt, but he's trying to have something come from it that helps Bajor heal on some level. And man, that is an incredibly (laughs) uh, intricate plot and character. And to think that this is all served up in a first season episode really blows my mind. My wife and I watched this episode this past weekend in preparation for our discussion tonight. And when it was done, I looked at her and I said, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. And it has to be the same answer that everybody who watches this episode should say. What's your favorite scene of this episode? And without missing a beat, she talked about the breakdown scene. That scene is one of the best scenes in deep space nine history, the way that he is trying to be grandiose and, and say that he is Galdar heel and he wanted all the Bajorans to die. And that, that fool Maritza would just cover his ears because he couldn't 
stand the screams and then the breakdown happens and he's crying and he's talking about all these things. That scene is unbelievable. And I'm sure it's your, I, I can't imagine it's not your favorite scene also. It It is. Um, but it's like, it, it's one. And then one a is a scene that's going to surprise you. It's the scene in the replimat where Cisco is, is having breakfast in is talking to Kira and she wants to be put in charge of the investigation. The amount of faith that he puts in mm-hmm. her when she goes through her explanation as, uh, as, as ugly as it is says volumes about Cisco and his respect for not just Kira, but also the people of Bajor. That doesn't surprise me at all. Actually, man, um, it shows the type of character that Cisco has. She begs him yeah. and promises that she will not let her personal bias get in the way. And if I was Cisco, I'd be like, really? Have you listened to yourself lately whenever you talk about Cardassians? But he doesn't. He listens to her and he takes her word that she's going to do it the right way and tells Odo, Kira's in charge. Understood. And then that's it. I think that's a great 1A uh, choice, man. I really like that. He's got every reason in the galaxy to doubt her. Absolutely. You know, because you consider the way they first met. Mm-hmm. She wasn't exactly somebody that you know, enjoyed adhering to the rules and would speak her mind you know, to her own peril, you know, uh, more often than not. Right. And he does, he does something very captainly, even though he's only a commander. Mm. And he puts the trust in her to do it the right way. And I think that that I think that says a lot about Cisco at this phase of Deep Space Nine. We don't talk about Cisco a lot in this episode because he's no. not in very much of it, right? But I think that his scene is an important one in this in this regard. Yeah, there are other scenes later, but I think this one has the most impact as far as the Kira character is concerned because you know this man who is essentially a religious icon has just put her faith or his faith in her. Yep. You know what else is another scene that it, it, it's not one of my favorites. I'm not putting it up there as a favorite, but it's a great scene is one of the only scenes, if not the only scene that we see Quark in, in this episode, when they're standing outside of Odo's uh, security office and the survivors of Galatep are all huddled out there and Odo and, and uh, Quark are talking and, and Quark says, Oh, whew, Galatep being in that hell. Do you think they like to gamble? I, it, <laughs> it's just, it's so quark. It's not him being a jerk. It's just, it's just quark. And I really thought that even though it was only a minute or two minute scene, it was a great character moment for Armin's character. I really liked it. Believe it or not, that's my least favorite scene in the whole episode. Really? Yeah, because I think it's unnecessary. Um, oh, I disagree. I, I I don't necessarily disagree with you that it's great for for Quark, but I just uh, I thought it was uh, kind of a cop out to work him into the episode that way, and I just uh, it's, that's just me. I mean, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. It's just my own reaction to it. Well, it's interesting. I like you see. That's what I like. I like that we can talk about things that we might not agree upon, um, and get a different a different side of it. I I never thought of it as as not a a part of the episode that that maybe didn't work or was just thrown in. That's, that's interesting. I think that this episode lives and dies by the dialogue and Peter Allen fields. I'm pretty sure he's the guy, uh, the, the writer who wrote this episode really just puts together an amazing script, uh, teleplay for this episode. The dialogue that occurs between, 
Maritza, we'll, we'll just call him Maritza for now because it's sure. really he is. Maritza yep. and Kira is just fantastic. You know, and it it's not big, long. I mean, Cardassians love to talk. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the big, long stretches of dialogue that I am most entertained by. It's the small one-liners. Um, you know, Kira comes and says, well, you know, if your lives are going to be this transparent, it's going to be a very short investigation. And Maritza says without missing a beat. Well, in, in that case, I'll try to make my lives more opaque. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I have one that I, that I just pulled up that I really loved. And it's, it's the way that a, a madman would think as he's trying to, to portray Goldar heel. And that's when he says, kill me, torture me. It doesn't matter. You've already lost major. You can never undo what I've accomplished. The dead will still be dead. That's just um that's awesome writing, man. I love it. That's that's a section of dialogue that really just kicks you in the gut. Yeah. You know, because I, I try to I try to imagine what this would have been like, say like in Nuremberg in the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing some of the uh, these pieces of dialogue juxtaposed into, you know, the person the uh, the prosecution of Nazi war criminals. And I, I have to imagine that many of them you know, although this is a caricature felt very much the same way. And when you think about it in the terms of history, because I mean, of course we're, you know, our generation is certainly removed from that, um, uh, by, by a goodly amount, you know, um, it's, it, it makes you stop and wonder and consider what some of those individuals must've been like, and were they like, were they like this or was there an Amon Maritza among them? Yes. Yeah, you know that's that's something that I've always wondered. You know, we see well. Let, let's 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 compare it to what this episode is supposed to be related to. Let's compare it to the Nazis. Not all Germans were Nazis, and they didn't all have this ridiculous idea for taking over the world and exterminating people based on whatever stu- stupid reasons that that they had. So you can't imagine that all Cardassians that are on Cardassia Prime or any of the worlds in the in the Empire think the way that the military did with the occupation of Bajor. And it's very interesting that we don't get to see more of that throughout the series. We always see the military or the Obsidian Order. We sometimes see the civil government, but it's just kind of like in the back corner of the room and it's not really discussed very much. And I think it's a, an interesting facet of of the race that we should have seen a little bit more of. Well, you know, it, it forces me to consider how how much humanity can suck sometimes. Mm. You know, Star Trek is about us. You know, whether it's yeah. the aliens or the Starfleet people or or you name it. Regardless, it's all supposed to be you know a, a look in the mirror. You know, in the in the course of doing discovering Trek, you know, we we came to the conclusion that. You know, Star Trek is a mirror for humanity, but sometimes we don't necessarily like the reflection that stares back at us. And, and I think that's definitely the case with duet personally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think it's uncomfortable because we know the history and the truth that it's, it's built upon. Yes. It, it affects us the way it does because this happened, right? You know, absolutely. Yeah. Th- there were 6 million people eradicated from the earth for no other reason than, um, they weren't liked or they, they were perceived to be impure. Right. You know, and it's, it, it, it's, it's easy to transpose that to the Bajorans and try to, you know, sort of unpersonalize it uh, to create an adjective. But 
me personally, I I have a hard time divorcing the two and I don't know if everybody responds that way, but I think that's why that this episode affects me as much as it does. Here's something that's going to sound strange and I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring it across in the way that I really mean to. I'm going to do my best. This episode makes me understand and appreciate what happened in the real world more because we get to see it through these eyes of Star Trek that we love so much. And it's done in such a great way in this episode. You can't help but relate it to what really happened. And you just said it a minute ago. Sometimes we don't like the reflection that we see when we look in the mirror of our own humanity. So I ask, you know that Maritza didn't like his reflection because of what he did in this episode. If you were to take three different parts of this episode and have Kira look in the mirror, would she like what she sees at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle of the episode? Or would you think it would change based on what happened with Maritza? I think it changes. And I, I think that we see the start of that in this episode when mm-hmm. Maritza asks her how many Cardassians did she, or how many Cardassian civilians did she kill? Right. Specifically. Yep. Not just Cardassians. And you can tell that Kira is very uncomfortable, whether or not she doesn't honestly remember or whether or not she chooses to not remember, you can see the effect it has on her. And I think it's, it, it, it makes us wonder the same thing as the viewer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes me wonder at what point does Kira decide that there's been enough bloodshed? Yep. At what point does she realize that vengeance isn't enough? You know, at some point there has to be forgiveness and redemption, even for as horribly persecuted as the Bajorans were with genocide. I don't, I don't have anything to add. I mean, I think it's, I think, I think it's perfectly said. Um, It's funny, you know, I'm going to bring up mission log had this discussion not too long ago about this episode and listening to their discussion and then listening to our discussion, the similarities are a little bit eerie because we purpose, of course, we didn't try to, you know, we're not going to try to copy what John and Ken talk about. But I think anybody who sits and watches this episode and and then discusses it, the same topic is going to come up all the time and the same similarities and the same um, relations that we've been talking about are right there at the forefront. And I think that stands to the quality that the people did in bringing this episode uh, to fruition. I think this is a great episode for, for adults to watch with their slightly older children. Absolutely. And to talk about what it's based on. I mean, cause like you know, we've said, there were larger science fiction themes here, but when you relate it back to what actually happened, I think that it, it not only helps people understand that may not, but it also introduces the fact that there are higher concepts in Star Trek and it is truly a mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all honesty, this is one I'd love to hear Barry and Shashank tackle in Politrex. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I think that the far reaching implications, both in universe and in real world, I think are, are pretty significant and staggering. And so Barry, when you hear this, um, Dan and I are available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a thought that uh, I was going to, Oh yes, I remember what it was. Um, I like what you say that, that, that parents should watch this episode with their older kids. Now you got to think this came out 25 years ago and that was 
what, 60 years after the events of World War II. So now we're talking, we're close to 85, 90 years since that took place. And I'm sorry, my math may be way off. I'm just throwing out an arbitrary number. Yeah, a little bit. 70, 80, something, something along those lines. There are not many people alive that can that can relate to what actually happened anymore. And I think shows like this and other shows that have been on television and in movies to make sure people don't forget is very important. And as Star Trek fans, I just love the way that the, they're able to do it in ways that we enjoy. It's hard to say enjoy watching an episode that tackles something like this, but you can't help but enjoy the episode. I have to believe that this is an episode that would have made Gene incredibly proud Absolutely. of what Star Trek has become. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, obviously, I mean, you know, he, he passed away. Uh, certainly before deep space nine ever premiered really. Yep. But you know, when you look at the types of things that star Trek has always addressed and has always made part of its, uh, of its universe and the, the ways it's chosen to tell stories, this is up there with the best of them then and now. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever come across anyone who has not really appreciated this episode. And, and thought it one of the best, if not the best of season one. I, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, for us, it's the best of season one easily. Uh, and the best season one episode of any series, like you said, since TOS. It's really kind of amazing to me. You know, back when when we did see it or skip it for season one, um, it was one of the... Uh, well, we both clocked in at about 60 or 65% on season one, but this is one of the few that we were, that we really saw yeah. eye to eye on Yeah, um, because it is, it is that good. Looking forward is this, you know, is, is sort of, this sets a tone for the rest of the series really mm-hmm. in the way that Bajorans and Cardassians relate. We don't really have any central questions for this particular episode, but uh, that's because it, it doesn't really raise as many questions as it does provide insight i think good way to put it yep exactly um i I think that that this really informs the way kira deals with even ducat from here on in because i mean ducat's worse than than dark heel at least on some level we're forced to believe that um he's at least equivalent or possibly worse than dark heel was Mm -hmm. um and yet we see her soften in many ways with regarding to ducat as as despicable as the character is and I have to take a step back and remember that that's, that's part of the calculus of Kira's journey. And there are times where I go, really? Would she really do that? And after watching this episode again, I say to myself, yeah, I, I really think she would because I think that I think she carries a little bit of guilt. I think she carries, you know, some, some concern that at some point Bajor has to heal and Bajor has to move forward. And uh, may, I could be wrong about that. I don't know, but that's just how I kind of see it now after watching this episode again. When I look at Kira in the rest of the series, I agree with you to a point about that, but I think any softness or you know, letting back a little bit on her hatred for Dukat really only happens after Zial. And I think that Zial is the main core of that change with her. And I don't think if Zial was in the picture that anything would have changed with her hatred for Dukat. I mean, I mean, we even find out or she finds out through the orb experiences that her mother was a collaborator and had a relationship with Dukat. 
you would think that that would set her off on a path that would never, ever be um, a way that she'd want to, you know, not let down that guard or her hatred for Dukat. But when Zial comes along, all bets are off. And and it really, I mean, we see her, like you said earlier, she helps raise Zial uh, until she's, until, oh, I don't want to give away a spoiler. Yeah. But I don't know if she does that without this episode happening, quite honestly, because I yeah. think it gets her to confront that, that I, hatred as we've talked about and also talk about the, well, the ability to forgive. I, I can agree with that. So if this episode didn't happen, do you think she would not have had any type of relationship with Zial? I don't think it would have been anywhere near what it was. That's very interesting. I think that it, it taught her that there were victims all around. Mm-hmm. You know, not just not just the Bajorans. You know, yeah. there there were Cardassians who were are sickened and disgusted by what happened, and mm-hmm. and Eamon Maritza was proof of that. I yep. mean, and he was True. killed killed right before her eyes. True. Yep. Okay. I can. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, and you know there are other things. I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting some stuff because we see such a growth with Kira over the the course of the seven seasons, and this is only the first season uh, that duet takes place. But um, this could be the the root of all of her softening. I don't know if softening is the right word towards Cardassians. I mean, like I said earlier, we see it happen in second second skin. Second when skin. she is when she's uh supposed to be the daughter of a of a of a legate. But um yeah, it's I'm gonna have to watch as as I watch episodes going forward after this episode, I'm gonna keep a very close eye on what we see with her and I'll ask the question to myself, would it have happened if not for duet? I'm gonna throw this out there and say that duet is perhaps the best bottle show in the history of Star Trek. Oh, that's right. It is a bottle show, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's written as a bottle show on purpose because there are mm-hmm. some expensive episodes during season one. Sure. Um, but you don't remember that there's nothing that happens outside the station really until somebody reminds you. I mean, because what happens is so good on the screen. You don't yeah. care. Right. That's a good point. I didn't... Um... I didn't realize until you just said it that it is actually a bottle show, very bottle show. And yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of the best episodes anyway. So why not just call it the best bottle show? Yeah, well. I, I think it is in all honesty. Um, and, you know, we've talked about a lot of great Deep Space Nine episodes this year. You know, here we are in the last third of, or sorry, the last quarter of, of 2018. And uh, we've talked about how some people should have been nominated for Emmys like Tony Todd. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like Avery Brooks, yep. And I think it's an outright crime that Harris Eulen and Nana Visitor didn't get some kind of recognition for I this because it, it early on, man, this is one of Nana's best performances as Kira, and Harris Eulen just slays this episode. This episode doesn't work with any other actor, I don't think, because he's that good. This episode couldn't have been in any season other than one. Yep. I don't think, yep. but at the same time, the episode is written and acted like a season five or six episode because it's so good. Yeah. Well, and you and I have often talked about the music um, mm-hmm. in the episode and it is perfectly, it perfectly underscores this episode. Mm-hmm. It propels, there's a lot of wordiness like we mentioned earlier and it absolutely propels that drama forward. And I think it's, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. Dennis McCarthy really did a great job because it's not overpowering but it punctuates enough to really get the emotion going. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything about this episode that is a negative 
uh, as I look back on just rewatching it recently and reading all about it uh, prior to recording today. So yeah, big, big thumbs up all the way around. You know, it's hard to call an episode of television perfection, but this one comes pretty damn close. Yeah. Um, if you haven't watched Duet recently, um, I, I implore you to do so. It is that exceptionally written, exceptionally directed, exceptionally acted. It is, it, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about Star Trek's finest hour, you know, in, uh, in The Visitor. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is up there among some of the greatest Star Trek episodes of all time, for sure. Absolutely. I can't, can't, uh, can't disagree with you, buddy. Dan, also among the greatest ever, the band <laughs> five-year mission without whom our podcast would not sound nearly as good. They're every ounce of music you hear here on Trek geeks. And we are so grateful to them each and every week for letting us use their music. We want everyone to head over and over to five mission.net, download all their albums and especially the brand new year four, which just continues the great legacy of five year mission music. Dan, they're writing one song for every episode of the original series. And like we keep reiterating, this is not, these are not song parodies. Mm-mm. These are original compositions about every episode that make you look at the episode a little differently. And it's just great, great stuff. Whether it's year one, two, three, or four, or Tribbles, Spock's Brain, all great pieces of music. I actually just realized that I have my uh, year four in my backpack to work that I bring every day. So I'm going to have to uh, start listening to it a little bit more at work, which I have not done lately. I see that coming up pretty soon. But you know what I did see uh, just recently, Bill? It was a Deep Space Nine episode. But it was it was it was a Miles episode, and you know I love Miles. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that goes without saying. But, yeah, yeah. God, poor poor Miles. You know he always seems to be the one that suffers in Deep Space Nine, whether he's losing teeth or being beat up or or even having I don't know twenty years worth of memories uh, implanted in his head at an Agrafi prison. I'm, I'm sure you remember this one, Bill. You know it was it was torture of the worst kind. And not just because they couldn't remove these memories, but just because that they had put these memories in his head and they were so bad. I mean, how could you live with yourself after killing your cellmate of almost two decades? Killing the man who wrote the book on exceptional musical percussion talent. How can you live with yourself, Bill? Uh, It was a hard time for Miles because Efark was his best friend. And he murdered him. <sighs> See, I thought you were going to call it Fark time. No, I totally missed the boat on this one. Uh, yes, um, but it was still it was still terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's fiveyearmission.net. Download all their stuff. Seriously, I mean, just do it already. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bacardi and Cola, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Get to the chopper. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Wow. While we were doing that, I accidentally closed the document. So now I'm like, I'm not vamping, but I'm like, what did I do with that thing? <laughs> I, um, but anyway, Dan, uh, as it stands next week, I am going to be um, away on a cruise, perhaps uh, dodging hurricanes in the Caribbean, but basking in whatever sun there is. And um, we are actually going to have a special edition of Stump the Geek. For everybody here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Executive Producer. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're going to be out of the country next week. Yeah. So the responsibility of the show falls upon me 
that's, my good sir. That's not and, at all how this works. And we will not be having another Stump the Geek. No, 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 no. No, no we are. No, no, no. Instead, I am taking over. Oh, God. And it's time for another Geek the Stump on an all-new episode of Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. I, I did not authorize this in any way. Out of the country, sir. Uh, but I'm in the country right now. Out of the country next week. The internet is global. I am going to take over. I said good day. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> so apparently, uh, Geek the Stump next week on an all-new Trek Geeks. Uh, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. So many podcasts, Dan. I, and they're all fantastic. And they're all hosted by wonderful friends of ours. You know, there's guaranteed to be something there for every Star Trek fan. So please head on over to the TricorderTransmissions.com and check them out. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek TO, please visit our great friends at TrekNews.net. For now, this has been episode 152 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut! That's it. I'm going on a cruise where I could possibly drink out of a coconut. All I get is a coconut well i was gonna do the whole thing like at the beginning of the show but i would have screwed it up so i just did coconut you mean like you did just now yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I can't help it if you're a nobody, Dan. Everybody thinks that. I know. I know. Go eat some worms. <laughs> Gonna go to the garden. Yeah. Yeah, with all the rain we had today, I'm sure that there there's plenty on the, the surface. So, but yeah, I mean, um, so so new neighbor. So I, I apologize if there's any banging or, or hammering. Okay. During the recording tonight, because I, I think they're hanging stuff on the wall. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. I will say also here in the, at the house, the new house, I will say that the podcast studio has been christened. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now. Did you break a bottle over its bow? No, no. Let's just say that uh, the the room is not as innocent as it once was. Yeah. Dog peed on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, where's he going with this? What a family show. (laughs) Exactly. We took the, we've had a gate at the bottom of the stairs because Aria does have a tendency to pee when she's in a new place or nervous or whatever. And she did four times the night we moved in, including on the couch, on our bed, the new on couch. The floor. Yes, the brand yeah. new couch that had been in the house for less than like eight hours. So we've been putting the gate up and she's been great. She hasn't peed in the house at all since that first weekend. So this past weekend I said, let's take the let's take that off because they do like to come upstairs and go into the other guest bedroom. They love laying on that bed. So I said, let's leave the gate down and just see how she does. Yeah, it lasted a day. Sue came home from work last night or I got home from work uh, from the gym last night. And she goes, yeah, so uh, do you see that the uh, gate's back up on the stairs? And I'm like, oh. She's like, yeah, Aria peed upstairs. And I'm like, where? She goes, right in the middle of your podcast studio. And I was like, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> Truth be told, it wasn't Aria. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> What's so funny, though, is, is I didn't say anything to Aria. I just looked at her and I go, what'd you do upstairs? And her ears went down and she got on the floor and back up crawled into the bedroom. It was hysterical. We can't get mad at somebody who's that cute. I only wish you were that cute, Dan. Well, then you'd never get mad at me. That's that, not true. That's not true at all. Not true at all. Not even remotely true. Um, hey, you're uh, you're gonna you're going on a, a cruise <laughs> soon. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, um, very excited. This coming weekend, I will board uh, a ship bound for uh, destinations in the Caribbean and hopefully dodging hurricanes if there are any. And Captain Barbosa and Davy Jones. Who? Uh, the second one I know. He was in the monkeys. Get but, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Very nice. Thank that's, you. Thank that's, you. That's good. I like that. Uh, Captain who? Barbosa. I don't know who that is. He was uh, Jeffrey Hunter played him. No, he was in Star Trek. That's right. It was so. It was um. Oh God, what's the guy's name? I don't know. He was um. He's an actor, and uh, he was the main protagonist for Captain Jack Sparrow in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oh, Jeffrey Rush. Rush. That's what it was. Yep. I yep. hated Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, and I didn't see any of the others. I'll tell you what. I did not like the first one the first time I saw it, but it is. I've grown to love it, and the second one is my favorite one because um. Bill Nye plays Davy Jones, and he is phenomenal in that role. I absolutely love him. It's just a shame Johnny Depp is in all those movies. <laughs> yeah, and they're doing. Are they doing another one? I think they are. Wait, didn't they do a fourth movie in the trilogy? Yeah, I like how you said that. That's good. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's still a good ride, though. Uh, I'll take your word for it. I just I have no interest. The first one I just I thought was abysmal. Okay, well, it's still a good ride. 
the one thing I don't like is that they changed the the rides at Disney World and Disneyland to be more like the movie. They uh, didn't yeah. change pirates all that much though. They did add something at the very beginning where you go through like this mist wall and they have Davy Jones face show up or they have Blackbeard's face show up. Right. But other than that, there's really a, not a lot. There's subtle changes, but not a whole lot to take away from what the original ride was. Well, no, but there's a lot more Jack Sparrow. There's a lot of Jack Sparrow. And of course, because the world has to be so effing politically correct nowadays, the scene where the woman in the red dress, where it says they were like selling, quote, wenches. Yeah. That has been taken out of the ride and changed to something different because they felt that that was. Um, insulting even though it's history you know whatever uh, i guess i understand that on some level i mean you can't rebrand the ride if you're not gonna deal with that but i, I see your point too yeah um i just not a johnny depp fan in case that didn't come through i think he's incredibly uh, overrated i kind of got that and yeah i can't uh, disagree with you and now of course he's part of the harry potter franchise as well he is yeah the fantastic beasts movies that take place like in the 40s yeah he's like the bad 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 guy and you got to see him at the very end of the first Fantastic Beats. And I guess he plays a critical part in this next one that's coming out this year. Great. Yeah. So. Can't wait for that. So we'll talk about that on our new episode of Potter Podcasting. Incorrect. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm uh, next week or this coming weekend. I keep saying next weekend. Uh-huh. but uh, It's it's like a, in a few days. I'll be headed to uh, Grand Turk. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where John Glenn's uh, Friendship Space Capsule uh, splashed down. Okay. I'll be headed to uh, the Dominican Republic. Very nice. To Curacao. Nice. And is it going to be Ru- blue Curacao? I'm actually taking the tour of that distillery. Excellent. Okay. And then also to uh, Aruba. Nice. Wow. Aruba? Yeah. That's way down there. It's right next door to Curacao. Wow. Okay. That, wow. All right. Yeah. Hmm. So I think that's going. as far south as I've been before I'd been to um, Isla Roatan off the coast of Honduras. Wow. That's quite a long way down there, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah, it's absolutely. A two-week, a two-week cruise, right? No, it's eight days. Oh, eight days. All right. Oh, okay. So. Because, so cruise, maybe- because cruises are not dangerous. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> everybody, anybody listening, if you could see Bill's face right now, it's just worth a thousand words. <laughs> you <laughs> preach what you sow <laughs> or whatever they often is. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Write that down. All right. You ready? I'm you're ready. ready jerk. <laughs> I'm ready. And cruises are dangerous when you're going through hurricanes. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. That's true. Batting them down those hatches. Yeah. Full speed ahead. <laughs> you ready? Ready. All right. Get to reading. Coconut. 